Hello and welcome to the Soccer Speakeasy. Today is Thursday, the 23rd of March. It's just after 11 a.m. as we begin recording this. The pod father, Patrick Clarity, at the controls per usual. I'm Mike A-Race. Thanks for joining us. Bailey Johnson's packing for Seattle. She's joining us by remote. And a special guest today, uh, an old friend of the program from the days of breaking down the United States and Ohio constitutions, my lawyer, Randy Kilbride. Randy, thanks for coming. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. Let's start with Bailey. Um, Bailey, the crew now is... uh, in 12th place in MLS, which isn't brutal after just uh, one, two, three, four games, uh, five goals for seven against minus two, four points, 12th place upcoming game this Saturday at the LDC, as the kids call it, the Atlanta, the Atlanta FC United's, whatever SC's uh, Reals uh, are visiting Columbus, uh, 730, which is the normalized time for, for these games per Apple television. Anyway, Atlanta in town Saturday night at 730. Atlanta is in first place in the Eastern Conference. Atlanta is where soccer was invented. So that that is upcoming. Bailey, first, let's look back at, at last week. Uh, the crew is in Harrison, New Jersey, taking on the New York Red Bulls uh, in Red Bull Arena. In, Red, in Harrison, taking on the New York Red Bulls, um, Alex Matan got his first MLS goal. A bit of a gift, a lucky goal, you might say, and he acknowledged as much yesterday when we spoke. But at this point, he was just happy to see the ball go in. Carlos Cornell, the Red Bulls goalkeeper, came way out to challenge Matan, and he kind of just slipped it under Cornell's arm, and it slowly tumbled towards the open goal at the far end of the field. Um, so they were up in the first half. Gave up two goals in the second half on the exact sequences that they had prevented fairly well in the first half and were trying to prevent throughout the game where Red Bulls win the ball back quickly and immediately go in transition on the counterattack. So, Bills, this was a Caleb Porter game. People are saying that. I, <laughs> I would not describe it that way. I mean, like, on paper, obviously, yes, they gave up a goal in the 87th minute, which is Caleb Porter-esque. But it didn't have that same sensation to me, mostly because, for me, those Caleb Porter games often came because... The crew were so just like collapsed into a shell, clinging to whatever point they could try to claim out of the game. And the crew were still trying to play how they wanted to play. It just happened to not work so well. Okay. Which is obviously, you know, something we're concerned about going forward, but like it was not Caleb Porter to me. I, I, I know that they're probably not, the team's probably not thinking that, but. Um, the thing is, this is something that they're going to have to live through for a while until they get over it. And, and that is that uh, every time they blow a lead in the second half, they're going to be compared to the 2022 Columbus crew, which blew more leads in the second half than, I don't know, Germany. Um, so it's like uh, they, they're going to have to live with that until until they get past it. And uh, it's, it's going to get mentioned. And so it goes. It's their history. Um, now, what did the lineup look like? Uh, against New York. And the other thing I was curious about, Bailey, you had said on this program last week that the crew, specifically Wilfried Nancy, was really looking forward to this game to test their mettle against the system of New York Red Bulls. Yeah, he was really looking forward to it. And um, he feels that it was a really good test for them. We asked him yesterday, you know, how did you, how do you feel like you guys handled the press? Because that's what he was so interested in, is Red Bulls notorious press all over the field. I almost called it a full court press, which tells you how much basketball I'm thinking about. But the way they press you all over the field really high and the you're attacking third to try to win the ball or they're attacking third, sorry, to try to win the ball back. Um, he feels they handled it pretty well, which I don't know is I don't know how firmly I agree with that. Um, but I do see what the point that he's making in that in the face of Red Bull's relentless pressure, 
the crew continued to try to play the way that they want to play with the ball throughout the game, even when it wasn't working so well for them, which on one hand, I see the criticisms of them not changing anything, but I also think four games into the season, while they're still establishing his identity, I think at this point, they kind of have to have those games where they stay really committed to the way they want to play across the whole season and just battle through it. Because if he starts changing his philosophies four games into the season, it kind of undoes what he's trying to instill, which is the commitment to what, the way he wants them to play. Yeah, no one expects him to change uh, four games into the season, you know, and uh, that's why they hired him to uh, install his stuff. Um, so one, two, and one, they've only played one home game to this point. Uh, and now they have arguably the best team in the East, at least to this point, early point in the season. Um, what are they saying about Atlanta United? FC, yeah, FC. so it's going to be really, E-I-E-I-O. it's going to be super interesting because yes, Atlanta is one of the best teams in the East on paper so far and have looked incredibly dominant. They haven't played the toughest of competitions. Um, the Portland team they played on Saturday that they beat 5-1 was missing several starters. Charlotte has looked pretty rough to start the year. They got two world-class free kicks from Thiago Amada to beat San Jose in week one. Um, and Atlanta's going to be missing a lot of the guys that have led them to the point that they're at. They will have Caleb Wiley, their left winger, who's been really strong for them and has been kind of a revelation. But Thiago Amada, who has been probably the best player in the league, is out with Argentina on international duty. Their striker, Jorgos Yakumakis, is out on international duty. Former crew winger, Zarek Etienne, is with Haiti. He's been coming off the bench for them. They have several other guys who are out. So while it's still a dangerous team, and as Wilfried said yesterday, the principles of how they play aren't going to change, they won't have the personnel that has made them so dangerous to this point. So it's going to be super fascinating to see how things shake out. Bills, we talked about last week, um, we talked about, handling the roster and the rotation heading into an international window. And uh, we wondered um, how Nancy would handle it in New York um, last weekend um, when, you know, he could have taken some of the guys that he will be missing and, and, and uh, really played them for a lot of minutes. Um, And we also wondered more pointedly, what would he do this weekend against Atlanta with three or four players out? Where is that at right now as as uh, as the international window has opened on Monday? Yeah, so kind of as I expected, he did not really make any changes to the lineup. Um, they did, oh, like, that's not true. They did make changes because they had to because Cujo Hernandez was a late scratch from the lineup with knee pain ahead of Saturday's game and is now going to be out. Wilfried says three to five weeks. Um, but as far as the rest of the lineup, they didn't make any changes with the guys who were going to be gone on international break. I think they all played 90 minutes. Milos and Lucas definitely did. Um, Lily was out for international break. Aloy Room, Lucas Villarreal, and Milos Steganek. And then Kevin Molino is out after having knee surgery on Friday to clean up a torn meniscus. And Cucho Hernandez is also out several weeks with a vague knee injury that they're not overly concerned about as far as the severity, but want to be very cautious with to make sure he's fully healthy before he comes back. So what that means for Saturday is they're missing those five players. Um, Milos has played as the central center back in their back three. Um, Wilfried said yesterday that Gustavo Vallecia, who they got in on loan from Colorado a few weeks ago, is going to start at center back. He has not yet decided if it's going to be two center backs or three. Um, but we know that Gustavo Vallecia will be one of them. And then he has a lot of options for what things are going to look like up front. Obviously, they won't have Lucas or Cucho. Um, Christian Ramirez is back, mostly healthy. He played 45 minutes with Crew 2 on Sunday. 
So they are expecting that he can give them around that, if not a little bit more than that. On Saturday, still undecided, Wilfried said, if Christian's going to start or come off the bench at striker. Um, so that is up in the air. You expect Alex Matan to be the number 10 because he's the only number 10 they have right now with Kevin Molino, who has played a little bit of that role. And obviously, Lucas Elrion, who is their number 10 out. Um, so there's still a lot of question marks about what this is going to look like on Saturday, but we know that Christian Ramirez is going to play, and we know that Gustavo Baezia is going to start. Ramirez was his debut. And, of course, Atlanta is is, is similarly dented. Yes, Atlanta is similarly dented. Uh, Wilfried kind of joked yesterday. He said he always likes to go back and watch at least the most recent three games in full as part of his preparation, the most recent three games of the opponent. And he, jokingly, I'm sure he still watched the games, was kind of like, do I really need to watch all three of these games in detail because almost none of these players will be here? All right, Bill. And, and lastly, before I let you go, um, any any idea on a projected lineup or, or even what for formation they're going to they're going to use? Because he might change. He might have to change it up this week. No, he might change. He might have to change. He you know suggested that when he said he's still not sure if it's going to be two center backs or three. It's been three their first four games. Um, I have a hundred different scraps of paper on my person at all times where I've been scribbling down lineups, trying to figure out what this is going to look like on Saturday. And at this moment, as I sit here at 11.15 on Thursday morning, I have no idea what this is going to be. I don't think they can play with two strikers because they, Chris Ramirez can't give them 90 minutes. So I would expect – my hunch is that he'll start because if he needs to come off after 45 and you're not bringing him on as a sub and then maybe he can't go 45 and you have to use another sub window to get him off the field. So my hunch is that he'll start. Um, and then probably Jason Russell Rowe swapped out for him at halftime, depending on how Christian's doing. Um, beyond that, I don't know. I think they could – I would be surprised, I think, if they go to two center backs just because they've been so committed to the three. And it also would help Baisia a little bit if he's not one of two but one of three in his first game with the crew. That gives him a little bit more cover. So I could see him playing as the center of the back three, just swapping right in for Milos with Phil Quinton on his left and Steven Marrera on the right side. Um, the central midfield we know won't change with Starlington and Aiden, um, Aiden Morris. The wingbacks could be different, Wilfried said. Anything in the attack beyond Alex Matan playing a lot of minutes is a question mark. So I have tried really hard to figure it out, and I still at this point am not totally sure what this is going to be. Well, if Bailey can't figure it out, then uh, only only the coach can, that's for sure. We'll, we'll all find out in about 55 hours or so. Bales, I'm going to let you go. Go finish packing. That's that's Bailey Johnson, our fine crew beat writer. Look up all her wonderful stuff at Dispatch.com and and go along for the ride with the with the rest of Columbus's Bailey covers the Ohio State women's loss to UConn in the uh, NCAA uh, women's tournament on Saturday. Bales, have a nice trip. Thanks, Harry. And we're back with uh, with my lawyer, uh, <laughs> Randy Kilbride. Um, uh, some of the, many of the people who listen to this program were along with us for the uh, bumpy ride that that was the t- year of twenty and eighteen um, when uh, uh, when when Anthony Precourt uh, was in the middle of his attempted robbery uh, of Columbus's uh, MLS franchise. Uh, Randy uh, was the guy who would come into the studio uh, and uh, and break down the 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 constitutional law involved both at the state and the federal level and, uh, uh, and provide his own uh, uh, really interesting takes on, on the whole situation. Randy, you're a former cruise season ticket holder, right? I am. 
And and uh, so over the 20 plus years you've lived in Columbus, when did you get here? Like 97? Yep. So essentially the life of the crew is, 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 is been, uh, has been your span of time in Columbus. Yeah, I think the, f- I think the first summer I lived here was the first summer. Yeah. So it would have been 96, I think. I think. But anyway, uh, so, so there you go. Um, and, and how many years did you have season tickets? God, from what, about 99 until like 2016? Yeah. So, so 15, 16 years. Yeah. And, and uh, you, you have some remove from it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, I'm curious what, what your impressions are. Uh, obviously, you're as aware as anyone of what happened in, in the new ownership and, uh, you know, the new stadium and all that stuff. What, you've been to the new stadium. What are your impressions? Oh, I think the new stadium's wonderful, quite frankly. I, I can't wait to see what it's like once it's all developed. Yeah, all around it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably, uh, I think that's the Edwards... Edwards Construction is, is handling the uh, in some conjunction with the Haslam Sports Group. Or uh, yeah. I think that could be a really almost iconic area. Yeah, especially uh, heading down to the river like that. Yeah. Well, I wish Columbus, frankly, would would sort of do a little more where you had you know a Clippers afternoon game, and I realize they don't control that. Yeah. But I think you could make a really nice weekend. Yeah, I, I've been there on the days when uh, all three were going on. You know, there's a it's a time of year when the the Jackets have an exhibition game early in the uh, exhibition season, and then uh, the Clippers are finishing up, and and uh, the crew is uh, season still roaring. And I'll tell you, Nationwide Boulevard on a night like that is is really cool. What do you what what are your impressions of uh, of? I'm curious for someone like you who's at some remove at this point. Like, what do you think of the crew's like, say, marketing? Do, do I, they reach you? No, I think their marketing is poor. Uh, to be honest with you. Uh, I think when I first moved here, I was really impressed with their marketing, especially back when they played at Ohio Stadium, because, frankly, it was a terrible place to go and see a soccer game. Yeah. Uh, nobody was there. You know, you felt like you were one of 12, even though you might have been one of 5,000. I thought their marketing back then was excellent. They seemed to be all over the place. They seemed to be very active in trying to get kids and people to do anything that interacted with soccer. And I, to be honest, I think now they act much more like a major league baseball team where their fans are more of a nuisance. <laughs> that, that is bothersome about baseball, isn't it? It's yeah. Like, I, I mean, I think, and okay, I don't think the NFL cares really about whether anybody shows up in their, in their stadiums. No. Um, but I don't think the crew reaches out in the same way. I don't think they do it as well as the jackets do. Which is saying something because the jackets aren't in, in in NHL circles. The jackets aren't known as the the crack marketing team of, of the league. But uh, I, and I'm not. I'll say this: the jackets are are very nice. Whenever I've had to deal with them, um, they've always been very accommodating. The crew, the crew have not. <laughs> And, and I mean, you'll still go back, but uh, oh no, I'm, I have I don't know I have tickets not this week, but whatever their next home game is. Yeah, yeah. Any impressions on the team, just as a as a dope dopey fan? Well, I guess the question I would ask Bailey is: Does anybody think they have the talent to compete as a first division club? It's a it's a good question. Because Patrick, Patrick, do you think that Patrick's demurring here? I don't know. We, we should we should have put that to Bailey directly. As I sit here as as a, I don't know, a probably somewhat more than casual fan, I don't feel as though they do 
because frankly, nobody's telling me they do. Yeah. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to, I'm going to let it play out. Uh, lastly, uh, what I'm curious about is, is uh, you're like the rest of us. You're a heavy consumer of sports on television, um, whether home or abroad, uh, abroad being um, oh, usually the Old Town Tavern. But uh, um, what what's your grasp of the MLS Apple deal? I mean, I've written about it as, I mean, this is the future of television sports as, as regional sports networks collapse and it's nothing it's it's couch change for for big tech to say yeah we'll do that you know it doesn't cost them really anything in the grand scheme of things what's 250 million dollars to apple you know um and the leagues they can create their own portal i guess you'd call it but what what are your impressions of apple and mls well i mean i don't have any i haven't had any technical trouble with with the stream or, or the feed or anything like that. So on the tech side, I haven't had any meaningful issues. I do have a problem with it sort of philosophically in that you would never happen across a game unless you're specifically looking for it. And I don't know how you grow your fans when your product only reaches the ones that are already the most concerned. Yeah. I, I don't reach anybody new. It concern well, you and I have talked about it with baseball for years. It concerns me with whatever the Bally Sports Diamond Sports Group bankruptcy. You know, I think I think to some extent the MLS takes a lot of money to put in the ownership pocket without regard to long term growth. And we'll see how that goes. I mean, baseball has been uh, pumping bullets into its feet for years over that kind of thing. It's, it's refusal to grow the game at the grassroots level, actually ignoring and, and uh, repulsing fans uh, uh, or potential fans. Well, and I think, I think some, to some extent your, your enjoyment of the game largely is growing through consuming it on television or maybe radio. Uh, and if you don't, uh, you can't be at that many games. I mean, just as a, the fact of the matter is, how many games are you going to attend, even as a hardcore fan? Ten. Yeah. And the uh, last, the last question is, and one of the one of the flashpoints of the Apple TV deal is is the, uh, and they're gonna they're trying to cover this up, going, oh well, this crew is gonna do more of the games here more regularly, and so they'll have a, a good idea, grasp the team, but. Um, I think I think one of the really legitimate gripes among many about the Apple TV deal, and Apple does a lot of things well. One, I think the major gripe against it is, um, is is is, and I'm wondering how you can gauge what an impact it's having is. Is no local broadcasters, right? The death of the local broadcasters in, in Major League Soccer. Well, I don't. I I think that's a terrible thing. Frankly, I thought the broadcast crew. Typically, it was pretty good. We're talking about just television. I mean, you can still get uh, Mr. Doran on the radio, and, and you can opt for that sort of thing. But, but yeah. Well, I think you lose a lot by having <laughs> national staff cover or your local product. Yeah. They don't know them, and they're not part in any way, shape, or form of the local culture, which I think if you want a strong, well-performing team, you need to have a strong local culture supporting that team. Yeah. I mean, C.E.G. the Packers, they were terrible for like 30 years, but they had a strong local culture. Yeah, they sure did. Yeah, I'm going to miss Neil. 
and the whole Bally's crew. All right, Randy, anything else you want to add before Patrick kicks us out of here? No, I think we'll let everybody go home. All right, go home, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Uh, please uh, go to dispatch.com to look at all our crew and, and other content. Uh, there's there's a lot there. Uh, there's a lot of hardworking reporters doing a really good job. I'm Mike A. Race. Thanks for joining us. Patrick, kick us out of here.